we finally watched The Legend of Korra, Book 2, Chapters 13 and 14, a podcast where two friends force each other to watch the shows they always meant to, but never made the time for. I'm the second friend, Anthony. And I'm the first friend, Abra. And let's jump into it on the first try, Abra. What did you think? I think that's the (laughs) first time we did the intro perfectly without having to redo it. And and the listeners, I'm going to leave this in because this is one year in the making. Finally, (laughs) we get an intro, just perfect first try because they don't know. They don't know how many tries i've had to edit out of every episode it's usually Uh, like i want to say three to five tries exactly exactly jesus kind of embarrassing (laughs) well you know that's that's how it works but look at that uh abra what did you think of this episode these episodes i should say because we'll be talking about the big finales of season two i have some mixed opinions okay i don't know there there's stuff that i like and there's stuff that i didn't like and there's also stuff that's like if this was a series finale i feel like it would have been all right but as the finale for season two Mm mm-hmm of a four-season show, mm-hmm. it feels a little weird. Doesn't it? Yeah. Like, I don't know. It, it feels like the stakes are just a little bit too high. Yes. But we'll get into that later. Mm-hmm. See, my first note was actually a thing that got answered later on in the episode, which was kind of cool. Basically, when the scorpion spirit, um, the anglerfish scorpion spirit, which I thought was really cool, mm-hmm. um, was like, humans in the spirit world only belong in one place and i was like wait do we know what that place is but then they answer it later on in the episode so you know what even watching it it didn't occur to me to later what scene that was leading to because i remember the scene that it was leading to just not that interaction and when the spirit said it my first thought was your stomach because the (laughs) the idea is you're gonna eat i think yeah i think that's what they're going for that's what they want you to think but then, you know, Tenzin has this light bulb moment later, but yeah. Yeah, imagine if Tenzin was wrong, though, and the and the uh, scorpion spirit was going to eat them. You know, what's funny is that if that had happened, not only would, like, Tenzin and Aang's children have died, but also the world would have been over. Yep, Because Jinora wouldn't have been saved, and then, yeah, yeah. so. That was kind of all, all right. Um, I think Tenzin's sort of story arc in this episode was probably, and and kind of throughout the season, I guess, Mm -hmm. was probably the more interesting thing to me. And I guess we'll get into that later. But uh, when, (laughs) I thought it was really funny when Bolin and Mako are like defending the southern spirit portal Mm -hmm. from Unalak. First of all, first of all, they're standing at like nine o'clock and three Mm -hmm. o'clock of this, this spirit portal. Why aren't they standing on, like, opposite ends? But also, why doesn't Bolin just, like, make a big wall? Because I feel like that would work, right? Right. Just make a a big wall of rock around, and then you'd also, you could stand on top of the wall, have the high ground. Yeah, yeah. Um, You could even make, like, a hill, yeah, like you said, like a hill situation. You could make, like, an advancing wall so that it's facing outward. So that it's difficult for them to climb over. Mm. Uh, you know, there's he's just not being very creative with this endeavor. Yeah, I guess I guess you know Bolin isn't exactly known for being the brains of the operation. True. Um, you know, if if Asami was <laughs> at all present yep. in these episodes, you know that that might have changed things. Um, that was another issue I had is that Asami is just kind of gone off. Uh, she's with uh, Tonrock and Katara, I guess. Just kind of 
off to the side, not really participating in anything. They really said, we're going to put the non-benders away for this episode. Just put them back in the toy box for yeah. now. I, I guess... I guess in this episode they are dealing with like a cosmic level threat, but also mm-hmm. the spirits do just kind of punch each other. So you know maybe non-benders yeah. and technology could be of some use, but I don't know. I'm not an expert on spirits. I feel like there was a way they could have worked her in though. Like yeah. if Sokka can be effective in the final battle in the last Airbender, there's some way that she could play a role in this. Especially because she's got access to like planes and stuff. Mm-hmm. Anyways, uh, speaking of spirits, though, Iroh shows up. Yeah! Yay! He does, he does nothing. absolutely nothing. <laughs> yeah, he's just like, hey, you guys should leave. No? Yep. Okay, bye. It feels nice. What I do like is the acknowledgement that there was a relationship there between Iroh and Tenzin. Right. Like, obviously distant, but the fact that they recognized each other and they had that back and forth was nice. Yeah, that's but true. But I would have liked some more substance to that interaction you know like if if you're gonna take the time to put it in you gotta put more than this is a hard time to be in the spirit world yeah well we gotta be i understand bye (laughs) like can can you not help yeah i feel like iroh should have helped or done something also okay wait remind me how old tenzin is supposed to be 50 something yeah that's that's kind of kind of what i was thinking so like he would have only seen iroh as a young child yeah so he was he was 52 which means iroh said he saw him about 40 years ago so when he was yeah when he was about ang's age uh from the last airbender so Mm -hmm. that also means that iroh like i guess you know people living a long time is canon to the world of avatar but that means that iroh lived for like 20 years after the last airbender Mm -hmm. granted i don't know how old exactly he's supposed to be he could be like i don't know in his 60s even but that feels young so according to this website he is 63 years old at the end of the last airbender which means that the last time he saw tenzin he was 83 so assuming he went to the spirit world sometime after that, like we'll say we'll say that he quote unquote died around 85 to 90 years old, which is pretty old. But yeah, it's, it's reasonable. But also 63. That is a I feel like that's a rough 63. My dad is almost 60. And like, I don't know. L- listen, I can tell you recently I met a person who was very, very old. I can't remember who this person was. I can't remember anything about them, except I remember them telling me their age and me thinking, wow that's a really rough 60 because they were like they were like around 60 years old but i would have guessed much older and i think just age wears people differently uh you know he fair enough he was a general had a lot of battles in his age would have probably taken a toll yeah also he did get really jacked in prison which i feel like is not something a, a super old person could do so you know and i should clarify that the age range uh, the website gave was 55 to 63. Okay. So anywhere in that, but, but I assumed kind of on the later end I, of that. I feel, like, be, I feel yeah. like 55 is way too young. I mean, next next note was like, yeah, Tenzin just took a real risk with that scorpion spirit. Yeah. Just, <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was a bit of a dumb, I guess, I guess he had heard of the fog of lost souls or whatever but right. also the scorpion could have just eaten yeah 100 percent. and i think you know comedic value aside it would have made more sense there to instead of them revisiting the scorpion iroh just telling them 
oh, have you tried the <laughs> fog of lost souls? It, and then give them like a little thing about like, it's treacherous place, blah, blah, blah. So instead of Tenzin coming across as, oh, I definitely know this thing, it, it's coming from Iroh, who for us, it would make more sense that he would know over Tenzin. Yeah, because right? he's, he's lived in the spirit world for like 40 years. Right. Instead of Tenzin taking this kind of until it happens, but we look at it as kind of a stupid gamble on this scorpion guy. Mm-hmm. What I thought the scorpion guy was when I was watching it this time was just a way to show each child's way of solving this problem and how each of them are inadequate in the spirit world, right? Where like mm-hmm. Tenzin's is diplomacy, but like diplomacy doesn't work. And God, I keep forgetting your name. Boomies was his... Oh, uh, Kaya. Kaya was trying to meditate or like find the spiritual energy, which might work in the real world, but doesn't work here. And then Boomies is trying to track, which you can't traditionally track here. And so it was just kind of, I thought it was trying to show Tenzin's version of them being kind of out of their depth here, right? As opposed to what it ended up being. That's fair. I will say it was a little confusing when everyone is like going into the spirit portal and going out of the spirit portal and going into the spirit portal with like Mako and Bolin and Unalak and Mm -hmm. Eska and Desna and they're all just kind of going back and forth. It's a little bit hard to keep track, but I I was a bit surprised by Bolin's like sudden confession of love Mm -hmm. for Eska. (laughs) That was interesting. Yeah, I like that it comes across as... Like him just trying to get out of the trap. And there's that little moment where he's like crying. Mm -hmm. Uh, I wrote down here, poor Bolin, he just realized he's a sub. (laughs) Don't say that about my boy. (laughs) He is. Yeah, he's a a simp Um, too. (laughs) Just a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. I was not expecting Zhao of all characters to make a cameo. Um, I I actually, I really liked that, but I was not expecting him to show up. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, I mean, in in book one of The Last Airbender, it's just kind of assumed that he drowned to death from the ocean spirit. But I guess he just, he got sucked up into the spirit world and just ended up in the fog of lost souls and goes crazy, I guess. You know, I like to think that, like, the spirits purposefully put him there as punishment for his, like, atrocity against spirit kind. But... That's fair. Yeah. Yeah. And that's kind of what I got for the whole fog spirit thing is that it's like i know they call it just like a a human prison but i like to imagine that it's more a prison for specifically like very bad humans or humans anyway that have uh transgressed against spirits in some major way and or they or they went up to that scorpion or they went up but that scorpion guy would view them as transgressing against him right right yeah for for waking him up so yeah that that makes sense i like how tenzin just kind of puts his siblings on a leash. Mm -hmm. That was kind of fun. And I actually was wondering if there is a connection of some kind, because they mentioned that the Fog of Lost Souls is itself a spirit. Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering if there's some connection between the Fog of Lost Souls and the fog in the swamp. Like, if that is also a similar type of spirit, because that that fog also, like, created visions Mm -hmm. and sort of messed with your head yeah that might be like a parallel space in the spirit and physical world i like that oh, yeah. i like that maybe because i also thought there's like the tree of time or whatever and i felt like that was was kind of similar to the one big tree in the swamp which i feel like is also kind of in a similar place in the world like if the north and south poles are in those two right. little areas then the the swamp tree would be in 
approximately the middle-ish. Right. So. No, yeah, and, and I like that parallel, and I do think that maybe that's not what it's going for, but that it does also hold a similar function, because that tree is, you know, the world being connected physically, and we find out that the Tree of Time's roots are apparently what's holding the physical and spiritual world together, mm-hmm. right? So, yeah, super, I like that plot theory. Yes, I am full of good theories. Okay, one one question. Is the ground that that Unalak and Korra are like duking it out on, is it ice or is it earth? Because it seems to alternate yeah. between, you know, earthbend, like Bolin being able to manipulate it and also Unalak being able to manipulate it. You know, I think it's wet rock. I think it's rock with water I think on it's, it. I think it's permafrost. Okay. So it's basically just like frozen mud. Because that's, that's the thing, is like mud can be used by both earthbenders and waterbenders. Yeah, because so you're manipulating the different... Yeah. I like that a yeah. lot. There's, um, I think I talked about this before, but in the Kyoshi novels, there's paint bending, which similarly is paint is able to be used by both water and earthbenders. Waterbenders, it's like a lower level technique mm-hmm. because it is mostly a liquid. Earthbenders, it's more of a deeper technique because you have to be able to pull specifically on the rocky materials in the paint. I see. Uh, but it is possible. So yeah, similar. I like I like that uh, that connection there. Yeah, uh, Tenzin's whole kind of subplot, self-actualization. Yeah, I, I think that was kind of the highlight of the episode for me. Learning to embrace who he is as opposed to just who his father is and that being able to kind of, you know, make the fog lose its effectiveness on him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, spirit therapy. That said, they did just kind of leave everyone stumbling around in the fog, huh? He just kind of took his family members and left. Yeah, you know, there's only so much you can do. And I think there. <laughs> he doesn't know why they're there. That's true. I, oh, the thing that I did mark down with General Zhao oh, is yeah. uh, I was like, airbender racism. Yes. Like, he just sees a guy with an arrow on his head and he's like, that's Aang. I mean, that's him. Well, <laughs> you know, okay, I get it. Wait, wait. Okay. So yeah, he only, because he only saw one airbender ever, but also... Mm-hmm. I would assume that all the people in the Fog of Lost Souls come from different time periods, so I'm sure there's probably a few other airbenders in there that he's just kind of come across and been like, Aang, what are you doing here, Aang? Like, I like to think he just kind of goes goes nuts every time he sees an airbender He's like a boomer. He just has no social grace whatsoever, (laughs) and the Fog has to break up the fight every time. Yep. Uh, I did also, I noticed that, first of all, I love the way this closure to the B-plot this episode with Tenzin and his siblings. And I noticed this is a small note, but when Bolin is like trying to protect Korra and right when Unalaka is separating Rava from Korra, mm-hmm. Bolin calls her the light spirit. Like he doesn't say, oh, yeah. ah, he's separating the light spirit, whereas everyone else up to this point has been calling them Rava and Vatu. And I just like that. Even when everybody else seems to be on the same page, Bolin is still, like, lagging a little bit. Like, he's like, I, I can't remember her name, but she's the light one. Yeah, the light, the light spirit, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, the spirits in these episodes are very corporeal in a way that feels mm-hmm. a bit weird, but I, I will say I, I liked how, you know, when Unalak was just beating the crap out of Rava that like Korra was seeing all the avatars disappearing 
I thought mm-hmm. that was a cool. That was a cool scene. Uh, what I like um, about it is that, and this is true about every time we've seen kind of this, is it's the same visual text that we've seen every time the avatars' past lives are brought up. Like it's the same images lined up in the same way and right. kind of watching that fade away and we see that a lot in these last two episodes of like things from the original series kind of having their closure we, we've got Iroh having his closure General Zhao we have uh, maybe not the last two episodes but like the end of the season Wan Shi Tong comes back we, we just see the closure to a lot more of those little side things mm-hmm. and in this case to watch that original image of the avatars kind of fade away one by one like you said I, I think it was really impactful yeah, because, I don't know, man, I, I feel like, because even, even the last airbender, you know, the the end level threat wasn't, you know, cosmic mm-hmm. annihilation of the world. It was a very, you know, physical, this, this man wants to commit genocide, right. which, you know, is obviously a huge threat, but they, they had built up to that for the previous two seasons and I feel like you know that's that's definitely Korra's weakness is not you know they they didn't know how many seasons they were gonna get so they kind of just went with it but also the disconnect between season one Mm -hmm. you know being about like this terrorist organization to season two you know existential threat to all of humanity it's a bit of a leap that well and you know on top of that with season two it didn't even take the full season to build up this threat because the first half of the season was again focused more on the the civil war aspect this personal story of Korra and her family and then it wasn't until what was it episode six and seven seven and eight that we got introduced to this big bigger plot thread that is now catapulted into these huge, huge turns. Now, or what I found anyway, going into season three, season four, about this season two finale is in execution, it may have gone a little bit overboard, but I do see what they're doing is that they're really, in my eyes, cutting ties to the last airbender. Well, I don't know. <laughs> well, Even we'll, as I'm saying that, that doesn't sound we'll right. We'll see going forward. Because yeah, I feel, like, I feel like what they should have done was like stick with the Civil War stuff and just had... Unalak be like power hungry and want to take over the south and you know maybe he's using spirits to accomplish that but none of this like dark avatar stuff Mm -hmm. you know maybe that is something that could come up in a later season Mm -hmm. but you know you could even lay the groundwork for Rava and Vatu you could still have the avatar one stuff when talking about Unalak opening the gates but this time it's just he wants to use an army of spirits to take over right. the world or something. And maybe he doesn't even know about Rava. And so yeah, there, there are different ways that this could have been handled. Completely agree with your assertion. I think given what it leads to, it is maybe wasn't necessary the way that they did it. But something like this was necessary, especially in regards to the Avatar state. Okay. Because it was destroyed. She has no connection to any of her past lives. It kind of neuters the Avatar state for Korra right? That's true. Yes, I am interested to see where that will lead. You know, I won't talk about much about where it will lead, but what I like is that at this point, what we know is even if Korra can use the Avatar state, it's not going to be nearly as powerful as it was before. Right. We've talked a lot before about power crawl, about how, you know, with the Avatar state, that kind of ruins that power crawl. Now that kind of gets reset. You know, she's still above everyone else. She still has four elements to work with, but she doesn't then also have 10,000 years worth of 
knowledge and expertise. Right, that is true. We'll see from your perspective if that's worth the trade-off of this huge, big um, raising of the stakes this season. Yeah, and we'll see. And I mean, at the end of the day, you know, you can't rewrite a story that's already been written. You know, you at the end of the day, you can just kind of experience it, and maybe you can critique its flaws. It's still the story that exists as it is. Tell J.K. Um, Rowling that. this story... <laughs> <laughs> But then this story also just turned into a kaiju movie, yep. which was not a turn I was expecting, but also, <laughs> you know what? I, I, I don't hate it. Yeah. Um, we got to see General Iroh come back, mm-hmm. which it still always trips me up every time he speaks because of my brain. I'm just like, that's Zuko, <laughs> which, you know, kind of sucks for uh, Dante Bosco because it's like... I don't, I don't know what his voice acting career looks like and how many roles that he's done, but I feel like, and you know, maybe he has a very diverse voice and he can do other voices that don't sound exactly like Zuko, mm-hmm. but also just every time I hear him, it's just that Zuko. Zuko. It's just one of those landmark roles that I think is going to be and has been probably very hard for him to get away from. Right. I like how Varric shows up for like a minute yep. in this episode. <laughs> For how much he was built up, I guess we're probably going to see him in in the next season, but for how much he was built up as a character throughout this season, mm-hmm. only to get like a minute and a, not even not even that much screen time in the finale. I also like how he doesn't have his own jetpack. He just really <laughs> has a jetpack and then he them. just uses her as a jetpack. Yeah. <laughs> You know, is very in character. Classic. If you're in prison, you got to be effective with your limited resources, you know? Oh, yeah. Your limited resources when you're a billionaire (laughs) and you have your own cell that you yourself designed. Yep. Oh, man. Um, But I love that he had that contingency plan that he was ready for a hole to get put in the side of the building. And that's the kind of that's the kind of ingenuity and innovation I love. For sure. I like that there's kind of some callbacks here for like the cosmic power and energy mm-hmm. bending, you know, when they talk about, you know, bending the energy inside yourself. And then Korra just, she's really big. Kaiju Korra. Kaiju Korra. I don't know if, if you watched Steven Universe, but I did. And all I could think of in my head was, all I want to do is see you turn into a giant woman, a giant woman. All I want to be is someone who gets to see a giant woman. I uh, I love that song already, but no, I haven't seen Steven Universe. Oh, maybe, maybe that's a show. Steven Universe is an interesting beast, I say, as someone who like deeply loved it and then kind of fell off of it and then kind of went back to it and was just kind of like, oh yeah, it's, it's all right, I guess. Um, yeah, it was a it was an interesting time. I don't know. I I still like it somewhat, and the soundtrack still slaps. One thing I'll say is that I I haven't seen it, but I have seen clips, and I have also listened to the music. And both the the clips I've seen have been phenomenally emotional, even despite not having all the context for it. Yeah, and then on top of that, the uh, the music is absolutely phenomenal. The music is fantastic. Uh, back to Korra. Yeah, back to Korra. <laughs> yeah, so then Jinora just kind of shows up. I I mean, I just watched this episode today, but was it really explained, like, how she got there? Nope. Like, her spirit, it was her spirit, yep. and she just kind of showed up. She just kind of could. helped Korra. And she just kind of could. She just kind of did. And kind of yeah. did. And 
You know, the Greeks had a phrase for this kind of thing, but <laughs> <laughs> doi ex machina. Ah, uh, yes. Uh, Is that Greek which, or Roman? You know, or Latin? I, aren't those all the same thing? No. Uh, anyway, so <laughs> with the classics, uh, majors listening to this are screaming at their phones right now. But no, uh, with Genora, I, I don't think it explains it. I was having trouble remembering an explanation, which means that even if they do explain it in future seasons, it's probably not a good enough explanation for me. Otherwise, I would have remembered it. Mm. So I'll just shop it up to, you know, they had to wrap it up somehow. Yeah. Also, by the way, I, I just looked up the entomology, entomology, etymology of deus ex machina. Um, apparently it is Latin, but it's derived from Greek, sort of. So okay. we're both right. Yeah, because I know it means like God descending on the stage or something akin to that. No, it's God in the machine. Oh, okay. But yeah. You know, she just, she kind of just showed up. Yep. It's fine, I guess. Uh, it's not really clear that Unalak just died. And also, is Vatu dead? I, he can't be dead, though, because it's established that Vatu and Rava yeah. can't, like, they have to both exist. And he's not locked away in the tree so, anymore, so is Vatu then in Korra? I mean, I guess, but they didn't really establish that. Yeah. Or is... Vatu, and this is not spoilers, by the way, for anything in the future, or I wouldn't be talking about it, okay. but is Vatu's spirit now reborn the same way that when Rava, did did they pull the spirit out of Vatu or no? They just killed him, right? I don't think so. They just, they just kind of killed Kaiju Vatu. So um, then, Unalak. so then so, hypothetically, he would, that cycle would just start the same way that Rava's cycle goes, right? Like I would just okay. So now there's just a dark avatar <laughs> somewhere out, a dark avatar baby I, somewhere out there that somewhere out there. I guess, but the dark avatar I think would just have to be a waterbender though, right? Because like yes, he didn't didn't learn all the other elements. I guess it depends on how much of Rava going into the next cycle is like required by the spirit rules and how much of it is her just choosing to kind of divvy uh, up the responsibility maybe but i don't know i don't know maybe maybe in the next avatar series if they if mm-hmm. they do that maybe there will be a dark avatar that shows up that was like reborn mm-hmm. that would actually be kind of cool yeah that'd be kind of a cool return a cool surprise yeah i i would be into that one thing i i do genuinely like about the ending here mm-hmm. when cora says you know we're gonna we're gonna keep the spirit portals open i like that it is acknowledged that like not all of his ideas were inherently bad and that you know his idea of like having the north and south be connected through the spirit portals and having balance between spirits and humans i like that it's acknowledged that that's actually kind of a good idea and mm-hmm you know, taken to heart, because one thing that really irks me in media is when you have a villain that, like, has kind of a good idea, but is also evil, and then they get defeated, and then their good idea is, like, never acknowledged or brought up. And I guess, now that I think about that, I feel like that was kind of an issue in season one with Emon, mm-hmm. where, you know, he was like, non-benders need to, like, rise up and he got defeated and also his uh view was completely undermined by the fact that he was actually a waterbender Mm -hmm. so i like the fact that that's actually kind of taken to heart yeah yeah it always kind of irks me when 
villains might have one good idea, but that's completely erased by the fact that they are villains. Also, <laughs> I'm glad that Mako and Korra finally broke yes. up. Yes. Uh, um, with Amon in the first season, what I do like is, you know, yes, he died and it was, or his point was undermined, but they did still take his criticism, right? That's like they, true. they have the president now, they have like a traditional democracy where everyone can have their voices heard regardless of bending. And maybe that didn't solve the problem, but it at least nudged them in the right direction, that right? That is true. And, uh, same thing with season two with Korra's decision, good or bad, whatever it ends up being, um, is a huge world-altering decision. Right. That, you know, the spirit world and the the physical world are completely connected now. There's no, you know, before we had like the solstice or when the worlds are closest, but now it's like, yeah. they're just, they are one and the same. That will be a tradition with Korra going forward is kind of as we meet these new villains, all of their ideas are going to be a lot more complicated than, yeah. you know, uh, the Fire Lord evil. and... Yeah, just evil. Whereas this time we see as the world is modernized, so has the idea of evil. Now, Unalak was evil. Uh, he, in mm -hmm. fact, was literally the the embodiment of evil for this entire last episode. But um, he <laughs> still, yeah, had those fundamental ideas that were good uh, about about his spirituality, um, which is great. There is a a theory. That now that we've finished season two, I think is is super valid, which is that each uh, season we're going to see a different uh, aspect of like society reflected. So like the season one was all about equality, right? Yeah. And we saw the the negative sides of equality, uh, but eventually we got to sort of like a, a compromise between what was and what is now about equality. Season two is a lot about basically like theocracy or um you know harmony mm -hmm. so this idea that you know we should be one with spirits and i just think this is super interesting and super political for the show to go especially for for a kid series which i think is really yeah. a lot of fun two things that this sort of has reminded me of this this train of thought um first of all it's about the whole villains undermining their whole thing mm -hmm. reminds me a lot of pokemon black and white i don't know are you a Pokemon fan? I am, but not, but no. So go ahead. Okay. So in Pokemon Black and White, there's this whole, what, the, the evil team, Team Plasma, they're like, Pokemon battles are like wrong. We should release all of our Pokemon and let them live their free natural lives, which is potentially like a really interesting moral thing for the series to get into, but it's <laughs> maybe a little bit too deep. Because mm -hmm. at the end of the day, it's like the villain is just like, yeah, actually, I just wanted everyone to release their Pokemon so that I could have all the Pokemon and rule the world. And right. I don't know, I just, I thought that was a really dumb choice to not like actually kind of explore the idea of like what it would mean for everyone to release all their Pokemon. But, right. Which they're I not going to do in Pokemon. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I've said this before. I don't know if it was to you or to my other friend, but I just, I want Pokemon to make, like, a fully, like, M-rated game. Not, like, <laughs> M-rated because it's, like, really violent or sexual. Um, but you know what? Even They could even touch on the weird fetishization of certain Pokemon. Right. It, 
have a game that actually explores all of the weird and like potentially interesting things yeah. that are going on the in the moral. Pokemon. Yeah. Like the the moral quandaries of it. Even today my friend sent me this tweet about how according to this one thing from like the 90s um or or early 2000s it was like on the back of some pokemon thing it said like pokemon are all like even pokemon that belong to evil people are still good the only pokemon that is genuinely evil is team rocket's meowth because that pokemon <laughs> has achieved free will and sentience and chose to be evil um <laughs> i mean so funny that that's i mean that's really thoughtful I, I mean, I yeah, like, what does that say about free will, though? Like, that the only right. Pokemon that has free will, it just chooses to be evil. I, I think that's so funny. Anyways, yes. Like, yeah. Game Freak, get on that. Oh, it would it would get done, too. Because all the Pokemon fans from the 90s are now in their 30s. Yeah, and, like, I feel like... I, I mean, obviously, there are still kid Pokemon fans... And you know what? They're still getting. They're still getting fed. They're still getting all their games. I feel like the the demographic though does kind of skew adults now. Mm-hmm. So I feel like they absolutely could do an adult oriented Pokemon game that delves into like the morality and also the cosmic horrors of Pokemon because <laughs> like yeah. there's some shit going on in the Pokemon universe, man. <laughs> you don't even know. Yeah. Anyways, that was a tangent. My second point, though, is about the whole social ordering thing. And um, mm-hmm. I've told you about this before, but the manga, which had Atelier, I'm just going to advertise it right here because it's really good. And it's, it's kind of almost Harry Potter-esque in terms of, like, young child who doesn't know much about magic getting introduced to magic and, you know, getting to experience this magical world. But there's, like, a whole discussion about safety versus freedom and, like, bureaucracy and how, you know, even these systems that are meant to keep people safe have their issues and how even the evil witches, who are basically just hardcore libertarians who want to be able to use whatever magic they Ugh, want. Gross libertarians. they have some good points. Yeah. Like, seriously, man, you, you absolutely should read the manga. It's, it's so good. Okay. My last point about Korra, though, is Sky Whale. There is a Sky Whale. What? I want Sky Whale. Sky Whale? Sky Whale. When they were showing all the spirits, there was, there was a... Big ol' sky whale flying through the northern, the, oh. the, the southern lights. And it's like, man, sky whales. I'm a big fan of sky whales. More flying Love animals. It. Love to see it. I think, you know, just real quick to wrap up season two here, I think, or I guess in general, what is your thoughts now that it's over on season two compared to Korra season one, compared to The Last Airbender even, or, or even your own expectations of this series? Uh, I don't know. I... If I'm being completely honest, I don't remember much of season one at this point, because I feel like it was, like, literally, I mean, last year when we started this podcast, so I don't really remember it that much. I mean, I remember mostly enjoying it, and I think season two did have its good parts, but overall, it's kind of weird, I didn't love most of it, um... 
I guess I'm I'm just curious to see where the stakes will go because yeah, Cora lost the Avatar state and that's obviously going to cripple her immensely in terms of like power creep because she's kind of back at square one, but then also like the main villain here is a once in 10,000 years entity of pure darkness and evil and like, you know, it's not just a case of Cora's power scaling, but it's also just the case of like the story's power scaling. Because, like, even if you were to, say, go for, like, a Fire Lord Ozai-level threat, you know, it's just like a genocidal maniac. It's like, okay, but, you know, last season we had a giant kaiju battle between uh, two spirit-infused people who are destined to fight every 10,000 years. You know, where where do you go f- with that? No, for sure. Uh, one thing I will say is you are in good hands because the next season is definitively for me <laughs> the best season of this series. Okay, well, that's so good. and maybe possibly either series. So, well, Avra, thanks for potting with me and listeners. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed the podcast, be sure to share with your friends and family who, you know, like Avatar. Be sure to follow us and rate us highly on Spotify, Apple Podcasts or any other app you might use. And if you want to keep up with us in general, you can follow us on Twitter at WFWcast. And friendly reminder to follow the link in the description of the episode to send in a voice message if you have anything you want us to hear or any questions about upcoming episodes and finally guys remember to check up on your friends i promise they don't hate you as much as you think they do until next time guys